You have one unheard message. Hi, I was calling Current, the influencer marketing platform, but I think I just got redirected to a bunch of people listening to a podcast. Well, anyways, I was calling Current because I was told they could help get my brand set up on TikTok Shop and even build out an affiliate program of content creators promoting my brand and even have those content creators go on live streams and promote my product there. Wow, I could really use Current. I also heard that the brands they work with are making millions in sales. I guess I'll just go to their website at current.tech. The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. Hello and welcome to the Modern Adventurer podcast. I'm John Horsfall, and in this podcast, we talk to adventurers and explorers from around the world who have made remarkable and daring journeys in recent years. From Everest climbers to polar explorers, world record holders from all walks of life, we listen to the crazy stories from their expeditions and tragic losses and sacrifices they have made. My hope is that on this podcast, we can look to explore the big topics in the world of travel and adventure. But also, I hope this podcast sparks ideas and inspires you to explore and go on an adventure of your own. My next guest is an adventurer and endurance runner and has a great story to tell. Unhappy with his direction in life, he quit his corporate day job to run 17,000 kilometers from Canada to Argentina in just over a year. In the last couple of years, he has pursued all sorts of adventures around the world and I am delighted to introduce to the show, Jamie Ramsey. Hi, thanks for having me on your podcast today. No worries. Well, absolute pleasure to have you on and really good, you know, over these years of following your adventures to get down and have a chat about all the stuff. Thank you very much for being one of the few that follows. (laughs) (laughs) Well, as I say, you've done incredible stuff over the years and it's just unbelievable you know, from your 17,000 kilometer run to cycling and all these adventures. I mean, how do you fill them in? Well, yeah, it's quite, I, I've kind of recently been looking back at all the numbers and it does kind of feel a bit mind boggling that in the last six years, I've done 32,000 kilometers of adventuring, uh, all human powered. And that doesn't include the mountains and stuff, but it's just, it's fun what we do being adventurous people. See, I kind of don't, I try not to fix on the numbers too much. but So how how did it all start? How did you get into doing what you do now? So I'll try and keep it as concise as possible. But I was, I'm basically like most, most other people, you know, you, you go, go to school, go to university, get a job in, in London and, or wherever it is, and that becomes your life. And um, I very much went down that path. And... Uh, it kind of the story goes splits a little bit. So in my kind of non-work life, as a lot of people who do running and adventure and stuff, 
did the 5k run and the 10k run and then the half marathon and then the marathon then the half Ironman, the 10k swim, always looking for that next thing that was going to give you that, that fix that you were looking for. And uh, so that was going along in my private life. And then in my work life, I was just doing this job, which is a great job for anyone who wants to do financial communications in the city. Um, but that really wasn't didn't fit with me. And I was just doing, going through the motions. And, you know, I was a graduate trainee, then became a account, whatever. And then in 2013, became a partner. And uh, I was doing all these adventures on the side. And but at work, I was kind of getting to that point where I was very dissatisfied with what I was doing. I wasn't getting much, um, I wasn't getting any sense of fulfillment from it. And I noticed that I was throwing myself at these endurance things. Um, and then when I wasn't doing that, I was basically going to the pub and drinking too much. And both were kind of becoming too too um, much of a kind of a crutch to, to, to kind of uh, balance out my life. And I realized that sometimes I was going out at lunch, drinking and or working out late at night. And I was just like, this is all, I'm just not, not very happy. And then there was one day I went out with some friends and they, they went to, um, it was 4 a.m. And I was meant to be going back to Fulham, but my office was in the city. And I decided that going to the office in the city was better than going home because I was going to save time. So I went to work, slept on the floor in the bathroom, and literally woke up in the next morning, pulled myself up onto the sink, looked at myself in the mirror and thought, this is not healthy. This is, this is not the direction your life should be going. And I kind of went up to my desk and looked around and went, I don't want to be these people. I don't want to be the guy who doesn't see his wife and kids. I don't want to be the person who never ends up with someone i don't want to my life to be just stuck in this office for another 30 years um and i thought back to the last time i felt some sort of uh, fulfillment and um uh, personal success in my life and that was this run i'd done in vietnam in 2013 where it was a jungle marathon it was meant to be 240 kilometers over six days backpack on like marathon de Saab. and it had been cancelled but rather than let that cancelling stop the adventure i decided i'd just fly out to vietnam anyway put the backpack on and just do what i said to everyone i would do you know i just ran 240 kilometers down the side roads of vietnam and uh i can remember just feeling very content and happy at the end of that and i when i was slightly noticing this spiral at work i thought back to that and i went that's what i need in my life and that's when i made the decision to quit the job, the nine to five, the good salary, the London life, um, and and go in probably about as far in the other direction as I could go. Um, which I, I literally, I think I quit my job in April, had four months uh, notice, finished on the 28th of January. And on the 14th of August, I was standing in Vancouver with a baby stroller looking south, the really long way to run. <laughs> I think it's kind of very interesting you say that because you had a sort of build up from 10k to half marathon, which was exactly the same as me. I went sort of 10k, half marathon, ultra, and then a year later I was doing 32 marathons in 27 days. Oh, sorry, 27 marathons in 32 days. It's sort of that build up to try and sort of say, oh, you, how far can you push yourself? Yeah, I think also it's a little bit like an addiction. Yeah. Like it's a hit. You get a hit 
and doing the same thing is not going to give you, unless you're absolutely focused on the number of how quickly you go, you're not going to get that hit, that sense of achievement. And uh, so, yeah, I've, I'm on a very slippery slope. And so you were out in Vancouver in Canada facing south. How, yeah. Uh, how did the sort of planning for that trip come about? And So I've been, I've obviously been thinking in my head, right, I, I need to quit. I don't, if I carry on in the life I'm in, I'm going to end up in a, a place I don't really want to be. So I thought I need to put passion at the, the forefront of what I do. And I was like, right, so I want it to be running, travel, adventure. Um, and I can't just quit my career to go and do a marathon. This is going to have to be like a year-long endeavor. So I thought running a year, a bit of maths, 30 kilometers a day, that's 11,000 kilometers. So I started looking at a map and immediately went, right, I'm going to run around the world. And then um, I looked at the logistics of running around the world, cost of running around the world, the visas, and, the, and I realized that as a first-time adventure, that probably wasn't quite doable. And I looked going down through Africa, and it was the same sort of thing. And then I kind of looked over to America, and Vancouver to Buenos Aires just presented itself as quite an easy option compared to the other ones. 17,000 kilometers, 14 countries, but there was only two languages, English and Spanish. And with a British passport, you could enter every single uh, country. And bizarrely, the, the bigger countries had the longest durations you could stay. So actually, you, you never needed a visa. Um, you're basically running, the, the directions were run down the Pan American Highway, turn left in Chile, and then you'll be in Buenos Aires. So it was, it was just kind of an easy option. And as a first big adventure, it kind of gave me that confidence that I'd be able to, to do that. So, yeah, I was standing there, really long way to run, and just standing there with a baby stroller. And it was weird because I actually I went to the center of Vancouver with the rush hour. So everyone was in their gray suits walking to work, and I was pushing my baby stroller in a yellow T-shirt. Um, and I just felt that, that it just kind of, for me, it was symbolic of like, I'm kind of going a different direction now. You're setting yourself so, free. <laughs> yeah. God. And I imagine, I mean, that took what, just over a year, was it? So um, being a PR man, I always try to make it sound as good as possible. Uh, so it took me 367 running days to do, averaging about 46 kilometers a day. Um, but my sister got engaged halfway through, so I... I I'm not, and I don't do, I don't do firsts, and I don't do records. It's not my thing. Um, so there's no way I was going to miss out on that. So I flew back for my sister's wedding. I obviously had to take rest days here and there, and days for injury and packages arriving. The whole thing took about 14 months. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Got you. Oh wow. And um, so. and the people you met along the way, I I I have to say. To this day, I still count the American people as some of the friendliest and most hospitable people. Did you yeah. did you have the same sort of experience? I sat on the aeroplane uh, going across to North America and I was like, I'm going to love the Canadians. I'm not sure about the Americans. I'm really not sure. And I remember just walking up to Canadians saying, this is what I'm going to do. And they'd be like, okay. And you're like, really? Okay. <laughs> I remember crossing the border into America went to a supermarket, a lady asked what I was doing. I told her, you got the tannoy out, everyone started cheering. And I was like, oh my God, this is amazing. And then everywhere I went, exactly as you said, people would just stop and hand me money, give me food, take me in. Um, and 
yeah, the kind of image I'd had in my head of Americans was not the the reality I had when I was actually in the country. Yeah, it, it was exactly the same with me. You sort of go across and you stop at a restaurant and or a cafe and someone just goes, oh, what are you doing? And you'll say what you're doing. And they'll be like, oh, God, okay. And, you know, it's really cool, whatever. And then they'll they'll like buy your food without telling you. You'll bump into them at a petrol station or gas station, as they call it. And they'll just be like, here's 20 bucks. Have a steak on me when you get to, well, for me, it was Nebraska. And I was like, okay. You know, what, what's going on? Where, where's this coming from? And I yeah no Americans Americans are but you say that I have done as I said thirty two thousand kilometers of adventuring around the world and I still struggle to find a negative moment I've had with a human on those trips and I don't know if it's because I'm mostly a solo adventurer that people look at you you're doing something physical pushing yourself to the limit and people feel like they want to either be part of it or they want to. Or, or they can see that you're vulnerable in a way and want to protect you. So and it doesn't matter where in the world you are, people seem to be the same. I think that's... is a really nice unifying thing. I think that's the advantage of going alone rather than with someone is that you have that sense of vulnerability and people are more encouraging to help you because you're alone and vulnerable. Whereas with someone, I think a lot of people look at you and, to say, oh, they're fine. You know, they, yeah, they're 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 two together. So, yeah. even if you're struggling, their their immediate reaction would be because there's two of them. I don't need to help, or I probably shouldn't help, or that. Yeah, and I think going alone actually is a huge asset to these adventures. It's definitely my preferred way of traveling, yeah. like in the adventuring. So, and so, what were some of the sort of big highs you had from that trip? Because I imagine when you came back, you had a bit of TV coverage, a bit of newspaper articles. Um, but I'm on the actual journey. Did you? What was there sort of moments along the way where you <sighs> met people and you were just like, "This is the craziest story." Yeah, there's like, there's always, it's the things that you don't plan and the things that just have. So I remember there was a, I, I, so when you're running like over a marathon day in, day out, and you kind of get into this perpetual motion that you just keep going, keep going, keep going. And sometimes it's very hard to stop because you just have this desire to, to progress. And But sometimes when you do manage to wrench yourself out of that routine, you can have some crazy, I remember I was running in through California and there was a sign saying soul camp. And I was like, what the heck soul camp? I ran past it. And I remember talking to myself, which I started doing quite a lot of, like, no, go back and investigate, find out what it is. And it was a bunch of DJs from um, uh, San Francisco who'd come up, hired a caravan park and were having a, basically a rave for a weekend. And I managed to blag my way in because uh, the guy was like trying to get $32 out of me. And then he asked me what I was doing. And he's like, what? Just go, get in there. And, you know, that night I had a little Mexican lady coming up to me and giving me like a bowl of vodka gummy bears. Um, I went to a pool party and I had hash brownies um, and just had the most amazingly weird weekend. And then the next day I woke up and ran 50K um, to the next town. It was just like, how did that happen? And then just some of the kind of meeting, like I hitchhiked my way across the Sea of Cortez. Um, 
because I had to get from Baja to mainland. I didn't want to take a flight or, or a ferry because it didn't sit well with what I was doing. And I ended up um, going on this kind of for a week across the Sea of Cortez with this this amazing guy, actually, who had responded to a, call, a shout out I'd made for help. Um, and I was raising money for a charity called Calm, which is the campaign against living miserably, male suicide. And that resonated with him because he'd been a firefighter at 9-11 and his job had been pulling the bodies of the firefighters out of the rubble. And um, he had suffered from PTSD and then as a result, actually tried to take his own life and was and was saved. And because he'd seen what I was doing and the charity I was working with, took me and we had ended up having this mini adventure within my big adventure, which was fantastic. And and then I think other highlights just come to things like trying to navigate your way around the Darien Gap between Ecuador and Colombia with a baby stroller and trying your hardest to refuse to take any sort of kind of conventional travel. And then running across the Atacama Desert was insane. And then, you know, running, I ran over the Andes, 4,800 meters, pushing my stroller. And you kind of met, met, I met cyclists and they were like, what are you, like, this is difficult for us. Like, what are you doing? Um, But at that point, you're 13 months in, 12 months in, you're the strongest you've ever been. And actually running over those things seems completely normal. But that's unbelievable. And so once you had finished that journey, you came back to the UK? So, yeah, I came back to the UK. Um, How did that feel? So I actually think the giving up alcohol really helped. I'd heard from a lot of people about when you come back from a big adventure, then you're immediately going to be, you're going to be in a completely different environment, even though it's the one you're used to. But everyone's going to be wanting to take you out for drinks. Everyone's going to want to hear your stories. Everyone's going to be plying you with alcohol. And you're not really going to have anything else to do. So you have this that there's a trap of falling into the kind of guy who goes out every night. And uh, so I made a decision not to drink for the, I think for nine months when I got back. Um, and, you know, I was within a month, I was cycling from Edinburgh down to uh, London on my, because my sister had taken my bike up to Edinburgh and had to get it back. And then I kind of went off and did the three peaks challenge, but running it. Um, so that was 700k with a backpack on. And then I went up to Scotland and did a 430 kilometer run. But what I kind of really tried to extend, keep the kind of strength I had and plow it into new adventures because I kind of felt poor and unemployed. So I just, I thought, you know, if you want, if you want this world that you want to enter into, you can't sit back on your laurels and rest that you have to keep pushing. You have to, um, show people that you're not a one one trick pony, a one hit wonder. Yeah. So, well, yeah, the one trick pony thing as well came, you know, because I did. So I did the seventeen thousand, and I did a seven hundred k so the three peaks challenge, and then the Scottish Isles, and then I realised that that's what I'd become. Like I proved I could run a really long way by myself, and that was it. So I needed to diversify into other things and that's why when that was the beginning of starting new things and the next thing was cycling across south america Uh, okay and when you so cycling across south america was that from north to south or down the andes no so i i um yeah never never cycled toward before so i spoke to a company fairlight um who gave me a farron bike and i bought some panniers whacked it on uh, I cycled to Gatwick, uh, no, cycled to Victoria, put my bike on the train, went to Gatwick, bought a box in the airport, undid my bike, 
flew it to um, Sao Paulo and then rebuilt my bike in Sao Paulo airport at like 6 a.m. in the morning and then cycled across Brazil, across uh, into Paraguay and then north up through the Chac the Chaco and then um, to a place called Villa Montes in Bolivia, which is the south of the Pyrenees, the low part of the Pyrenees and then um, not Pyrenees. The Andes and went over the Andes and down to uni and then across the salt flats. It's about three thousand seven hundred kilometers in twenty eight days. How did um how did the two trips compare? Because you ran across South America and then you cycled it. How what was the sort of feeling of going, as you say, incredibly slow to just slow? In well. Um, I mean, sorry. It's... I'm going to take offense that you say that my running is incredibly <laughs> slow. But uh... I suddenly I realized when, uh, I, well, when I cycle, um, when I cycle, you know, you're covering 100 miles a day. When you're running, you're covering 25 to 30 miles a day. Yeah. How did the two trips differ in terms of the sort of feelings towards mm-hmm. them? So that when you're... So when you're running you're, uh, the huge distances, you are running from A to B and you're wanting to get from A to B in the most direct way possible. And there's two things that does. One is that if there's a dangerous thing or anything like that, on a bike, you go around it. If you're running, you go through it and you just, you just hope that everything's going to be all right. Uh, but also it gives you, because of that kind of lack of ability to to meander, I, I feel you get a much uh, truer sense of a cross section of a country. You're basically slicing from the top to the bottom, north to south, or east to west, or whatever of that country, and you get to see every single um, kind of geopolitical thing that hangs along that line, and that's a really beautiful thing. But on the the flip side is, if you're running and you see a signpost saying the most beautiful lighthouse you've ever seen in your entire life, you are not going to run 11 miles to go and see it. But if you're on a bike, you will take that detour to go and see it. I also think that when you're running, running is such a solo thing that even when you arrive in places, you're a runner. If you're on a bike, there's there's much more of a touring community in bikes that you become part of that touring community. So it's more, even though you're alone, you're still part of something bigger. When you're running, it's just you because there are very few people do what you do. So no one really understands you. So, And uh, I suppose lo- logistically with all the equipment, um, what, the, what, uh, what the sort of main must-haves do you feel when doing these sort of trips? Well, I've kind of spent a lot of time trying to reduce my kit down so nearly every so my camping stove and my tent and my sleeping bag and all that and the liners so the essentials of where do I sleep and how do I eat uh, and how do I hydrate are pretty much the same for every single adventure I do um, which I which I kind of like so my I've got a one man tent which is uh, six hundred grams so if I'm going lightweight I take that or if I'm being more leisurely then I'll take my hubba hubba MSR two man tent. So I can have a bit more luxury, but essentially I just have a very lightweight kit selection I use for everything. Um, uh, and I, I'm learning that when I first time I did a cycle tour, I had two panniers on the front, two panniers on the back. Um, you know, it was, the bike was fully laden. Now I don't have any panniers on my bike. I've just got a saddlebag, a 
kind of wrap, a kind of frame bag, one on the handlebars, and a couple of extra bags here and there. So I'm, I'm, everything's about being light and efficient. So. Yeah, I, I, with running, I'm making sure it's as light as possible. With cycling, I'm a bit more. Yeah. What's the word? I sometimes carry my laptop around. Which sounds yeah, I think. Well, I think when I ran the three peaks, I think I took I took a tablet with me so I could watch TV in the evening. Yeah, <laughs> it, yeah. it's just one of these things. But I, I, how much do you run with when you have it on your back? Oh, just a small backpack, you know, a sort of twenty yeah, so twenty meter I, or. So when I'm doing like the long multi day ones, I'm running with a. So when I ran across Iceland, I had a forty four liter backpack um, carrying fifteen kilos, um, and you know, still able to do the 50, 60 Ks a day. I actually did a sub four hour marathon with it on, um, which I was quite happy about. But um, yeah, but so I, I, I'm a more of a believer in taking more stuff and having a more comfortable journey than going absolute bare minimum because that's only good for when you're actually moving. When you stopped moving, which is more of the time, I want to be comfortable for that time. Yeah, I can endure I can endure pain longer when I'm running than yeah with with cycling I think it was in America where having my laptop because I was blogging at the time but it was <laughs> just now and again you get these sort of moments and one of them was in Wyoming and Wyoming's like in the middle of nowhere and there it's very sort of sparsely populated. I think it's two hundred thousand for an area the size of the UK. Anyway, I was sort of cycling through and hadn't seen anything for about fifty miles. And suddenly I came across the Mormons Hancroft historical site. And it was the yeah. evening and so it was what's the word? It so it was closing down at the time. And Anyway, I sort of needed the loo. So I went into the loo's and I, I remember being there and being like, whoa, it has electricity. It has a sink. It has this. I mean, this is amazing. Anyway, I ended up staying the night in the Mormons historical Hancroft site. <laughs> and, it was, and I remember sitting down and watching, I think, uh, Sasha Baron Cohen movie or something like Borat. And I just remember just thinking, like, at the time, I, was, I felt it was the lapse of luxury. But I imagine to yeah. anyone listening, sleeping in the loos of a public loo is just beyond a joke. You just think, God, that's disgusting. But because I've been so used to camping in like dirt and not having running water and no electricity, yeah. just one night with electricity and a basin was just like lapse of luxury for me. Yeah, it's amazing how the little things in life become so just so much more cherished when you're when you're out. But I, I actually sometimes rebel against, um, you know, when I go on, when I'm doing adventures in more developed countries, I kind of feel like I'm being a bit... You're cheating. A bit soft. <laughs> it's just like, I need to go. And I, I like being places like Bolivia and uh, Mongolia and um, just places that are a bit more real. Because I actually, I think quite a lot of what we have today is just makes us so... Everything's too easy. Um, well, you know what they say, uh, it's sort of human beings design things to become lazier and lazier. It's yeah, like stairs are yeah. too uh, easy. We need an escalator to take us up. Yeah. <laughs> Escalator's yeah. too difficult. What about if we get a lift? <laughs> uh, so we, and then soon, soon we'll have our packages delivered by drones. Well, I, I, I would say that's pretty, that's not far off. 
No, I think Amazon what came Crazy. out with the advert three years ago. Yeah. So uh, yeah, I, I, but that, that's why I live. It's in the middle of nowhere in the south of France. So what you can tell Amazon? Yeah, you can deliver to here, and they're like, uh, uh what? <laughs> <laughs> and I actually quite rely on Amazon. It's very sad, but yeah, no, no, it's, it it can be so easy. And in terms of yeah. your running, I mean, if you're running nearly every day for a year, you must have come into what sort of motivated you when times were really tough in terms of what was the sort of feeling or something in the back of your mind that sort of kept you going? It's, it's kind of different at all, like depending on what situation you're in, but I was, I was talking about this with someone earlier and I think there's, there's quite often this, uh, misconception when people look at adventurers and they go, look at that guy, he's got to get up and go to go and run across a country and he must be the happiest person in the world. And I actually think that quite often you look at adventures and you like the, the, the kind of psychologists would kind of look at what is what's wrong with that person? What is the thing that's missing? And I kind of try and work it out and distill it and to, to, to convey it. But I kind of see myself like I am a happy person. I'm I'm not I'm not in any way a sad or depressed person or anything like that. But I do think that what I do is I have a lot of self doubt. I probably don't like myself that much, and um, I don't think I'm good enough. And I basically try and draw on all the negative stuff that's in me. And then I kind of put it through this internal processor, which turns it into a desire to prove to myself that I can do it. And I, I, I don't do, as I said, I don't do records. I don't do firsts. I try not to, to I, I have to talk about my adventures because it's what I do as a job, but I don't celebrate when I finish an adventure, which I probably should. It's all just to prove to me that I can do it. Um, and but I'm doing it in places I want to do it. I'm doing it for positive reasons. I'm doing it for passion. But when it gets tough, it's just like you need to prove to you that you can do this. So don't let yourself down. I'm not never letting anyone else down. Um, so it's just like, yeah, just do. I just don't want to disappoint myself. Yeah, I think there's a huge element of that in terms of, I mean, I, I suppose when I first got into it, it was very much that sort of make trying to make a mark it was trying to sort of as you say these sort of insecurities that one has in trying to sort of show that you are bigger and better or whatever it was as I say now it's sort of more for the love but there's a sort of sometimes when you push putting yourself in such horrendous situations people must ask the question of like why why would you ever endure that? But there's a part of me that I sort of feel by enduring it, it just means that later on in life, when something really bad happens out of my control, I can endure that better than, um, than wh what I would if I couldn't endure this. Yeah, I kind of, yeah, I'm very similar to that. And I kind of look at it, um, and it's probably an analogy that lots of people use, but I look at like, this is me in the middle and this is what I think I can achieve. And every time I come up against anything that's really difficult and I push that, the, the circle out a little bit, the amount of all that extra space of new things I now therefore think I'm capable of doing. Um, 
And I, I think that comes back to when we are talking about going bigger and bigger and bigger, you know. So when you run over a mountain and you get to 4,800 meters, you're like, I just, I did that? What can I do next? How can I push that? So it's almost now like I'm seeking that horrible place where everyone else is sitting there going, why would you do that? I'm doing it because I need that, because I need to be able to push the barrier further. I want to see how far, how what I'm capable of, where are the boundaries? Because I spent so long living in this little, this is what you do, this is how you live your life, and I want to expand it. But also, kind of, I do, I watch quite a lot of these other like groups who are sitting there going, you should quit your job and you should go doing adventures and you'll be happy if you do that. And I, I just hope that lots of people who, buy into these um, communities do sometimes take a step back and think that to actually go and do these hardships is a very is quite often a very lonely place with very little future security no routine uh, and and it's it can be a weird world to be in so you know i think the people who can live with structure of society and you know, contributing positively to the, those around them and living in community, that is actually sometimes a good place to be. Um, yeah, I I think, um, what was it? I, do you know Alistair Humphreys? I think he's yeah, amazing. Yeah, absolutely. Great guy. He, he, I remember, I think it was on his Instagram or his blog, he said he got a message from a guy who had sort of spoken to him for a sort of year saying how he wanted to go on these grand adventures. And he had a kid and, you know, a family or whatnot. And then about a year later, he saved up all this money and decided to cycle, you know, across the Himalayas or somewhere, somewhere like that. And he said after two weeks, he quit. And he said, I realized then and there that these big grand adventures, which I sort of was envious of people doing, they're not for me. I, I miss the yeah. comforts of home. I miss my family and the sort of connection that one has. And I'm I'm actually happy just doing the sort of weekend or the week here, but these grand adventures aren't. They're really exciting, and you know I absolutely love them. But I, I can't recommend them to everyone. It's almost impossible to. Yeah. You have to decide whether that's the sort of life, as you say, with no yeah. routine, no financial security whatsoever. But you don't really do it for any reason other than the love of actually pushing yourself further and further. And, and you know, when the more you analyze it, I don't want to get too, too deep into it, but the more you analyze it, you realize it's quite a selfish endeavor. Yeah. You know, I'm trying, I'm doing something because I want to do it and I do it on my terms to push myself as far as I can go. Uh, and so it's about, that's why I spend a lot of time when I'm not doing adventures, trying to make videos about how to do adventures and kit, to use and like sharing my adventure because you can't just take 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 and feel good about it you have to give back to balance out the the kind of life equation yeah um of yeah. being a good human being and or striving is to that be. why you started doing these vlogs on it the, the vlogs thing um so i've done lots of videos in the past this just recent vlogs is because i um I just want to uh, use it as a tool to actually push myself. So I've got an adventure planned for next year, which sadly I can't talk about. But 
there's a massive amount of preparation that needs to go into that and training. And, you know, I want to film it the best I can. And what better way to do it than to make content and get, share it with people and get them to, you know, I just done, I did one yesterday on, you know, my daily workout, which is about four hours and burns 1500 calories. But when I'm doing it, I'm watching the video and I can see the rolls of fat on me. And I'm like, wow, you know, but by putting that video out there, I'm holding myself accountable and I, uh, I'm going to have to keep going. And like the first two videos were just going on a hike and then I'll, I'll go and do a run and I'll do a cycle. And yeah, I just use it as a tool to hopefully help other people see what it's like to be an adventurer, maybe teach people some stuff about my life, maybe get people to tell me, come and help me. So it's just a way of opening myself up to people when I'm stuck alone in a house. Basically. Yeah, yeah, of course. God. <laughs> Four hours, did you say? Yeah, but that's taking it. So I'll do like a, I'll do a, an hour and a bit walk in the morning. I'll do an hour of yoga and I'll do an hour of strength training and I'll do an hour on a bike or a run. Well, you must be almost, and you're, you're based quite near the mountains at the moment, aren't you? Yeah. So I went and did a nice two day hike over the mountains the other day, which was slightly more adventurous than I had uh, initially planned. Like I got up to this, this, the Brecker, the Roland and, down the other side no one had actually ventured down the other side and i realized why when i got kind of waist deep in snow trying to push my way down this uh quite dangerous walking over like rivers that were underneath me and uh but it was great fun so hopefully more and more of that yeah, and so in terms of your these vlogs are you sort of talking about your diet your daily routine your daily your equipment is this the idea yeah, it's going to be everything. So, like that one was about the, it was about doing what I do workout. Then I'll look at one looking at nutrition. Uh, I'll do some jokey ones like what's it like to go hiking in a kilt? Uh, being Scottish, can't can't tell, but um, and I'll, I'll do. You know, there's a lot of deer around here, and I'm a big. I love going out and watching the deer and stuff. So I'll go out and film the deer and like share just share things that people back home might not be able to see at the moment. So it's just basically it's just. As I said, it's a variety. It's a way of getting me to do stuff that is constructive, um, especially when you're writing a book. Very easy to sit at your desk and then look up at seven o'clock at night and realize you haven't been outside. So by putting a tool in place, it, it means I have to go and do stuff. I have to break up the sitting at the, the laptop. So. Okay. Another question uh, I wanted to ask was sort of about running and the sort of failures you've had along the way, because... As you say, you started out small and you've, as you say, you've progressed into this huge ultra marathon runner. And I've never adventurer. actually done an ultra marathon. Have you not? No, no. I've done so I, I, an I official run, one. I've run really long distances in, I think, when I did the, um, I did the Endure 24, where you do the five, the laps of five miles. Now, in 24 hours, I did. 80 something miles so like that's 135k in 24 hours i've done 78 kilometer days i've run 400k races but multi-stage races i've never actually done an official ultra marathon so it's on the list i think last year was the first official marathon that i'd ever run <laughs> and so and it was actually a lot harder than actually running Oh yeah, and sort of a marathon as an adventurer or an ultra marathon because you've sort of 
you're sort of motivated by your time. Yeah. Whereas when you're doing it as a sort of adventure, you're sort of more motivated by what you see and well, there's no sort of care. There's no sort of crowd. Argentina and I, as I told you, I needed to get to Buenos Aires for New Year's Eve. Um, I was very much motivated by time because that, that section, I did 28 days straight in 40 degree heat and I ran an average of 58K a day bang in 28 days so that was that was being pushed by time because i managed to arrive in buenos aires a day early so you must have been pretty chuffed with that i was pretty happy pretty happy except i wasn't drinking so i didn't really celebrate but i i sort of know from experience that with running expeditions in terms of either training or nutrition or something along the lines has there ever with these expeditions that you do is there a time when you've failed or and sort of what have you learned in these years of doing this right so i failed uh i i've failed many times but i've i've had two big failures in my life uh, when it comes to running and the first one was when i did the cape wrath ultra in 2018 yeah, 2018. And um, I, it's a 400k race, it's eight days across Scotland. And uh, it's weird because it's, in my eyes, it's a failure. I came third. Um, but I ran the first four days running. I was in third place and then I sprained my ankle. And then on day five, I went out there and I just couldn't let go of this. You're in third place. And I, I walked the beginning of the day and everyone, like literally the whole field went past me, all saying, oh, it's so sad to see you like this. And I'm like, son of! Um, and then I found a pub on the side of the road, like just random hotel in the middle of Scotland. Stopped, had a pint and just said, no, this is not how this ends. And I went out there and I started running around going, right, who's got painkillers? And I found a doctor who gave me some cocodamol and the fennec. And I ran for four days on a sprained ankle. Uh, and every day, every evening I couldn't walk and I had to put my leg up and I couldn't, but I did it and I got to the end and I was like, I was, I'm a hero. I finished that race. Um, and then quickly learned that the very, that's still living with it now. The let, I should have, I failed because I should have pulled out that race the moment I sprained that ankle. And it's about knowing your limitations. Um, and, uh, if you actually want to succeed for a long time, then you have to take little hits along that way. And, and then the second time was, uh, it was in the 2019 when I was backing up the Aconcagua and the everything together. Madagascar was the last one. And two weeks before I went, I was here and I went for a run along the back, um, track and I put my foot down a rabbit hole and twisted the other ankle and I just couldn't. Couldn't, I couldn't even carry on. I had to turn around and limp back. And everyone was like, you shouldn't go to Madagascar if you're, you can't walk. And I was like, no, I'm going. And I flew all the way there. And then I bought another flight to get to the north of Madagascar. Then I got all the way to the beginning with my 15 kilo backpack with 2,000 kilometers to go. I went for a run and I couldn't even run without a backpack. And, and just stubbornness and just trying to prove a point to myself and maybe at that point i'd done been succeeded in everything that year i was like i can't fail and i had to learn how to gracefully 
admit defeat and come back with my tail between my my uh, legs. But I, I, they're the kind of failures I look at. I don't I haven't really had any other. Nothing else has really gone wrong. But uh, those were the two lessons that stick with me. Uh, that and don't do massive trail running um, expeditions with other people because it just doesn't work. <laughs> yeah. Um, so this is the sort of part of the show where we ask the same five questions to every person that yep. comes on. And so the first one is, what's the one thing that you crave or miss uh, from home or the weird thing, which uh, people would be like, what? Is it, I've got two. I, I, like, I don't miss that much. Like, I see that being at home is the bit I don't like. I like being on the adventures. I really miss Jaffa Cakes. Like, Jaffa Cakes are the one thing that I absolutely miss. And then just completely weirdly, I love a hot bubble bath with, like, candles. I just... But you don't get that when you're adventuring. But I, admit, I do miss it, and I love no, it. That, that, that's a, that's a big luxury to have while you're adventuring. <laughs> it is. I mean, yeah. I mean, you could probably try and recreate it in a river if you must. But yeah, I thought that when I was in Iceland, I was going to get them, but I actually never found a hot spring when I was there. So the next one is: What's your favorite adventure book? I think the book that has, for me, inspired me the most was the Ben Fogel, James Cracknell. Um, rowing across the Atlantic, um, I absolutely loved that book and the way that you had the two the two people with the two different um, takes on everything and how how that kind of played out. Uh, and that was one of the books that really made me feel that I wanted to get into endurance, long distances kind of stuff. Yeah, I went to a talk with Ben Fogel on it. It was absolutely fascinating. The sort of conflict that those two had together but at the same time came out of it as he said one went to compete and the other one went to complete yeah and the two different mindsets clash massively yeah yeah um as you probably know from the book yeah it's yeah but i fully admire them both yeah um, unbelievable did you have a like an inspirational figure growing up so I don't really have a single figure, like, because I wasn't really into adventure until I turned like 34. It wasn't really a thing I was doing. But it, like following on, Ben Fogel has been someone that I've looked at thinking, I want to have his life. I want to be able to do what he does. Um, so that has, it's kind of as a guiding thing. I'm not like all the people who go for the big runoff fines and all that kind of stuff. That's just not really... It's not really ever been part of my life. But what I kind of think I do is I look at all these people and I pick out attributes about them and I create my own character, which is this impossible person that I'm trying to be and I will never be and I will always be let down that I'm never that person. But I, I like to take a little bit of everyone rather than just focus on one single person. Yeah, I, I, I agree with that. Um, as I say, growing up, I was big sports fans so mine were more sort of sporting yeah. stars rather than adventurers and, and so the next one is do you have a sort of favorite quote or motivational quote yes yeah, so um just before i did running the americas um i went to a pub with my friend and he pulled out his phone and he said watch this and it's uh, alan watts and it's what would you do if money was no object 
And that just that line just makes me remember why you're right there. You're not doing this for money. You're not doing this for anything. You're doing this because it's your desire, your passion. And that's why you should do it. And by just keeping that, I, everyone I speak to, I say, you have to watch this video. You have to listen to this. What would you do if, if money was no object? And that is just kind of how I try and live my life, um, which is quite easy when you're an adventurer because there isn't very much money. So <laughs> I keep it on a daily basis. And so people listening to the show are probably keen to go on adventures or running adventures like you. What's the one thing you would recommend them to get them started? If, if you were going to do it, if you really come from nothing and you want to get into adventuring, then I would pick a nice, simple route like the West Highland Way or something like that. And try, you'll use that as a training run. Like no matter what you're doing in life, how big adventures, you, you still need training runs, training hikes, training cycles. So pick a nice route that you can start. And if it's too difficult for you, you can stop and then you can go back and restart and then carry on. Uh, so just by having a really, and remember that no one else cares what you're doing or how you're doing or how you get off. Because you always, you get wrapped up when you're on adventure. You think everyone's watching you you realize that actually no one is watching you because they have their own lives to deal with and you're on your own. So don't let the idea that if you're trying to do something big and you and, and you have to stop and come back, that's not a failure. That's just uh, you learning how to get to where you want to get to. So, Yeah, I, I agree with that. We, we were speaking on the podcast uh, last time with uh, Geordie Stewart and he was, and we basically said, you know, when first time you break like a hundred miles cycling or, you know, you break first time you do a, a marathon, you just got to remember that no one cares. No. You're not going, you're not going to break any records. You're not going to do it. It's just purely for your own accord. Yeah. And while you might be there going, yes, you shouldn't push yourself uh, based on what other people think. It should just be a your sort of, what's the word? Um, it's your trip, yeah. So make it yours, yeah. rather than I should I should carry on. I should do 120. I should do 150 or something like that because otherwise people will think I'm being lazy or yeah. something along those lines. Yeah, and that, that 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 is to all all walks of every part of life. Like I spent 12 years working in the city because I thought that's what my dad wanted me to do. Um, and when I told him that, he said, "I never told you to work in the city. That was your own. You just manifested that." And I'm like, Oh, it's like in everything in life just do it because you want to do it and that's that's why you're doing it so yeah i agree and so what are you doing now and how can people follow your adventures so um i can't say when my next adventure will be but it'll be like five months six months long it'll be in 2021 it's either going to be a really long one or it's going to be a a really long one in terms of distance or a really long one in terms of time, depending on what COVID does. And at the moment, no, I'm just hunkering down, trying to get my book written and uh, trying to get as strong as I possibly can to be able to take on whatever the adventure will be in, in 2021. But I'm going to concentrate on putting content onto, onto YouTube and Instagram, which is Jamie is running. So there's lots there already. And it's really, really cool if more people than my mum watch them. Well, um, definitely go check it out. And as you say, you started these daily vlogs or weekly vlogs. It'll be so like two, three a week. 
Perfect. Um, and I'd recommend everyone to go check it out. Thank you very much. And check out the mountains and the beautiful French countryside around you. Yeah. I'm going to enjoy the, what the countryside has to offer and then all the wine and duck that has to offer as well. Yeah. Well, I, I look forward to um, following you on your next journey. And once you've finished that, come back on the show and tell us how it went. Will do. We'd love to. Thank you so much for coming on today and um, good luck in your future adventures. Thank you very much. And I look forward to following whatever adventures you do and meeting, meeting all the people you're going to be speaking to over the next few months. Yeah, it should be interesting. Join us next time on the Modern Adventurer podcast. And I came up with this idea. I was, I was intrigued by, you know, the legacy of the Soviet Union and this Russian diaspora living in Estonia, what that meant for Russia's, uh, Estonia's identity and security, how Russia might choose to leverage that as they had done in Ukraine to justify an invasion and annexation. Uh, and realised that this was something that was going all along the eastern border of Europe. Thank you for listening. You can watch the videos on YouTube now and please tell your friends about the podcast, subscribe and leave a review on iTunes as it makes a huge difference to the show. Thank you and have a great day. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for $2.49 a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today, or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.